Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, this is Quantum of History. I'm your host, Donnie Waldron. Today we're going to be talking about Tomorrow Never Dies. More specifically, we're going to talk about Robert Maxwell. Now, Robert Maxwell was the father of Giselle Maxwell, who is now infamous for being tied with Jeffrey Epstein. The case, when I first started reading, you know, the Epstein case and started reading about it, I kept hearing about this Robert Maxwell, who was supposedly really, really famous in the time. I'm like, I haven't heard of the guy, so I started researching him, and wow, I did not realize how important this guy was to the world at the time. So he's the inspiration for Elliot Carver. Originally, when I thought that Elliot Carver was a um, inspired by Rupert Murdoch, but the writers actually definitely confirmed it was Robert Maxwell. So we're going to go into that. It's going to be a really interesting episode, and, and Tomorrow Never Dies is going to be a two-part episode. So today's part is going to be about Robert Maxwell. The next part is going to be about the Hong Kong China transfer. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be two parts. You're going to get a lot of Tomorrow Never Dies coming up. So I hope you guys are ready. So we're going to start with the Bond on this day award. This is going to go to Stanley Tatum. If you follow me on Instagram at Quantum of History, you know that the day before I record, I always post a hint picture of what the movie and the topic is going to be. And the first person that gets it gets the shout out on the podcast. So today's winner is Stanley Tatum at Statum106. Really cool page, really great adult page. Like if you're gonna have an, a, be an adult and have an Instagram, this is the I would use this as the actual blueprint of how to have an adult Instagram page. Got great pictures of travel, family, food, sports. Really, that's this is how an adult should have a uh, Instagram page. So it's a really good follow if you're not. It's Statum 106. And when I asked him, you know, what do you want for um to the, for the shout out? Is there anything specific you want? And he told me. Now, just let folks know a little history can put an interesting perspective on a Bond film. And I tell you, if I could use that as a tagline for the uh, for my podcast, that's exactly what it is. Because a little history, when you watch these and, and understand where these storylines come from, really changes the way you view the Bond movies. So, really appreciate it. Thank, thank you, Stanley. And if you're not following him, it's Statum 106. So, when I started this, I wanted to know who Robert Maxwell was. Because I had never heard of him before Giselle Maxwell became infamous for Jeffrey Epstein. And then I started researching and found out he was he's a very big deal, especially in the 80s and uh, early 90s. So I was watching the, the Netflix documentary Filthy Rich by uh, James Patterson on Netflix. And I, I kept hearing Robert Maxwell and I, I wanted to just really interested on this guy. And I didn't even know he had a bond connection until I started researching it. And uh, my friend Jason Kim was like, yeah, he's absolutely he was the inspiration. So I started researching it and I found out all these things about him so I wanted to find out who he was and, and what it was about and what the big deal is how does how does this guy rise to fame because it always interests me how someone goes from nothing to a billionaire so I want to see how that that transition happens so I originally tried to find a guest for today's episode and I'd asked a couple people and one guy told me he wasn't touching it with a 10-foot pole another guy said no way and uh you know guys just because maybe Jeffrey Epstein didn't kill himself and maybe the Clintons have had some people killed doesn't mean you can't come on this podcast and talk about Epstein and the Clintons and Robert Maxwell. Well, in case anything does happen, it was probably Hillary Clinton, but I doubt she listens to this podcast. I don't think she's a Bond fan. So I think we're safe, guys. But yeah, I couldn't get a guess for today's episode because nobody wanted to touch it. And who can blame them? And when you hear the rest of the story and you hear what happened to Robert Maxwell and the untimely death that he had, uh, you know what? Maybe... Maybe you shouldn't even listen to this podcast, let alone me be talking about it. So who was Robert Maxwell? Robert Maxwell was born in Czechoslovakia in an impoverished area of Slatinsky Doli. It's now actually part of the Ukraine and it's known as Solotovnia. Maxwell was born to Jewish parents and he had six siblings. 
Now, his parents and his siblings all tried to flee into France to avoid the Holocaust from Czechoslovakia, but they were, were captured during the, uh, the invasion, and his parents and four of his siblings were slain um, during the Holocaust. Robert was able to escape and then eventually joined the Czechoslovakian army, and then subsequently from the Czechoslovakian army, he was transferred to the British army. When Robert joined the British army, he went under the name Ivan de Molière. From there, he rose to the ranks of military. He had a decorated career, and he earned the military cross for heroism. He also was decorated from Israel. He was said to have had smuggled airplane parts from um, into Israel during the Arab-Israel War of the late 1940s. Once his military career was over, he started beginning. Um, he became a media mogul. He amassed enormous amounts of wealth, dabbling in both newspapers, television stations, and, and plenty of other media. So after the war in 1951, Maxwell founded a publishing company called Pergamon Publishing. Now, Pergamon focused on publishing inexpensive scholarly journals and publications. Uh, Maxwell was able to make modest profits, and he started to dabble in the acquisitions of other companies and publications. So he started, he continued with those and until people who he was working with became weary of his, his business practices. Now, after Robert Maxwell had to sell his, his founding beloved um, Paragamon, there was a, in London's The City, it's like uh, the Wall Street Journal of, of England, there was a scathing report on um, Robert Maxwell, which basically said that he was a crook, he was a fraud, and not to be trusted, and no one should do business with him anymore. In the scathing report on Maxwell, the city found that he was reckless, and they also believed that he was optimist without warrant. So he constantly thought that he was going to make billions of dollars when there was no way he's going to make billions of dollars. To the point where it was no longer optimism, it was outright deceit. They also found him to be self-indulgent and unwilling to listen to those who say no. Maxwell sold Pergamon to an American company who claimed that they were severely misled in the actual value of Pergamon, a practice which Maxwell would further hone as the years went on. Maxwell would report sales of his publication to private companies, even though these companies would be fronts for other companies under Maxwell's umbrella. So basically, he was just creating companies, selling his publications to these companies, even though he owned the companies. So he's basically selling himself to try to inflate the profits. By doing so, he could inflate the value of one company in order to sell at a higher rate. But in 1974, Maxwell was able to reacquire Pergamon from Lisco as it was floundering. And Maxwell once again made Pergamon profitable. He then bought the British Printing Corporation, and he turned that profitable as well. In 1984, he bought the Big Fish, which is the Daily Mirror, and Maxwell proclaimed that he was going to be a media mogul, taking over several aspects of media. And Maxwell never forgot the slight that was written about him in 1971, and he harbored that resentment for years. Now, the acquisition of the largest printed press in England was to be the redemption. Maxwell claimed that his sales would break into the billions of dollars. This thought was perpetuated, even though it was later found that it would not be worth a tenth of that. Financial sales in the 80s were rampant with deceit and overinflation of values. And those who made the most money and seized most assets were often those who were the best criminals. Maxwell was always viewed as a man with unsubstantiated optimism. In the 1980s, especially in Wall Street or, or any of the financial markets, this was rampant. People were doing all sorts of unchecked business practices, inflating their, their sales with basically fake money. I mean, you're, that's, you're basically dealing with fake money on stocks. A lot of optimism and, and a lot of sales and, and how much they're worth and how much you're guessing it's worth when a lot of it's just a facade. So to keep all these businesses afloat, he would make these fake profits from one business, and then he would inflate the worth of his business in order so he could take larger loans from from banks. So if your company is worth $10 million, but you say it's worth $50 million, the bank will give you a $45 million loan based on the equity that you have for that thing, even though it's worth $10 million. 
And then you just, once you get the money, you just hope that you can turn around and believe in yourself. And, and Maxwell was the king of just believing himself in that regard. Now he continued this insane debt collection until it came to a zenith when he purchased Macmillan and the awful official airline guides of 1988 for $3.3 billion. Now the company changed its name to Maxwell Communications and it had its logo changed to a giant M smothering a globe, which really was prophetic about how Maxwell viewed himself. He thought that he was ruling the world. He was a megalomaniac with ambitions and determinations that far exceeded his capabilities of business. Look, at the end, printed press, even in the 1980s, was not that profitable. You're not making billions of dollars selling National Enquirer type stuff. Now, the market began to take notice and investors were quickly selling off their shares. As these scams became more prevalent and people were losing more and more money, people became wary of, of these practices and were able to spot them. Now, the charade began to crumble in 1990 because at some point you had to start showing profits. And by 1990, Maxwell was beyond broke. He was losing billions and billions of dollars. He had bankrupted the Daily Mirror's pension fund and became more and more reclusive. He would fire his executives or they would just outright quit. And when top CEOs and executives start leaving a company, that's when the alarm bells start ringing. The final straw was when he started buying New York companies with Goldman Sachs. Now, Goldman Sachs is no stranger to deceit in their own scandals, but it was rumored that Maxwell was in ties with the mobster as part of a large money laundering scheme. So what he would do is he would use these New York companies and he would launder the money for the mafia through Bulgarian banks and then back into New York. And it was part of a scheme that he had that he would use all these all these companies that he had, use the money that the mafia was making, be able to inflate his own profits, and then launder the money that he owed to these people through Bulgarian banks back into New York. So he, he inflated his company's worth, mafia got to ma launder their money, and it was a way that he tried to stay afloat. Now he used the Bank of New York, which was owned by Edmund Safra, and he was known as the financier to the mafia. Now Safra himself died under mysterious circumstances in Monaco, in a Monaco penthouse in 1999 in a, in a supposed house fire. Maxwell had double-crossed them too, so he was at the mafia, he was at the banks, financiers, he had multiple fronts and his empire was crumbling. Robert Maxwell was a desperate man and it was rumored that he had long been a spy for both British government and the Israeli government. So on November 5th, 1991, Maxwell set sail off the Canary Islands located in the northwest part of Africa on his mega yacht. It was here where he supposedly fell off the edge of his yacht and drowned. His body was recovered on the same day naked in the sea. Now, Maxwell was known to urinate in the middle of the night naked off the edge of his yacht. Now, normally I keep my mega yacht parked and I don't try to pee off of it too much. But I know back in, uh, back in my New York days when I was on the rowboat bass fishing and uh, I had had too many Bud Lights, I can tell you, if you've never peed off the side of a boat, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a liberating feeling. So I, I get, I get the allure of that. So the story that they were led to believe in the media is that one day, Robert Maxwell was taking his tinkle, had a heart attack, fell over the edge, and then two hours later, some fisherman in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean found his body. Now, if you've ever been part of a search and rescue thing, there's no way in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean randomly some guy two hours later finds his body it just doesn't happen that way so what actually happened was the Mossad um, agents went into his after he had tried to blackmail Israel they hid into his yacht and if you ever seen uh, Born Identity when uh, Jason Bourne hides on the on the yacht for four or five days picks the yacht and then goes to kill Nick Wambosi basically it's the same thing Mossad agents hide in his yacht waited for him to go trolley out his little gut hanging over the railing and take his little pee-pee out and go take his tinkle. And the minute they did that, they threw him over the edge, let him drown, recovered his body quickly. That way they could have the body, show he was dead, show he didn't flee, 
tidy it up, no loose ends, call it a day, no more Robert Maxwell and his empire is gone. So why was Robert Maxwell killed? Well, the story is that Robert Maxwell, in his fit of desperation, owing billions of dollars to everybody, went to Israel and basically blackmailed them and said, look, I'm going to reveal all the secrets that I've been hiding for you for almost 50 years. If you don't get, bail me out of this, if you don't give me the billions of dollars, if you don't help me out with these loans, I'm going to reveal all your secrets. And uh, Israel with the Mosad just, you know, not to be messed with. I don't know. I don't know why he thought that was a good idea. But I mean, that's, that's what it has. When he tried to blackmail Israel, and they made him pay for it. Now, shortly before Maxwell's death, former employee of Israel's military intelligence dictatorate, Ari ben Menash, went to several news media outlets with allegations that the Daily Mirror was employing Mozad agents as their foreign editors. Basically, the accusation was that Maxwell, being part of the Mozad, was using his acquisition of the Daily Mirror and other media outlets in order to monitor any um, siphoning of information about Israel, specifically their nuclear program that was going on. So Ben Menash claimed that Maxwell had given Israeli embassy in London information about Mordecai Vanunu, who was giving information about Israel's nuclear capabilities to the Sunday Times. In response, Vanunu was kidnapped by the Mossad and smuggled back to Israel and convicted of treason and sentenced to 18 years in prison. In the subsequent investigation of Maxwell and these dealings, investigators of the House of Parliament went on to call Maxwell one of the worst criminals of the century. Now, in the wake, his sons did try to save some of his companies, but they ended up doing the same crimes that his father was doing, basically siphoning money from pension funds to try to pay off the debts. $1.4 billion still remains mysteriously gone. Okay, who knows what happened with that money? I mean, he had mafia ties. He had ties with MI6. He had ties with Mozad. He had ties with the KGB. He was in New York. He was in Romanian television stations. He owned newspapers in England. He owned radio stations. He owned he owned MTV. He was half owner of MTV Europe. I mean, he was a media conglomerate. He Maxwell Corporation had tentacles and everything. So it's no wonder who knows where all that money is and who knows where it all ended up and who knows the power and the secrets that died with that man. Robert Maxwell was laid to rest in the famed Mount of Olives in Israel. His funeral was lavish and included several dignitaries from around the world. The Israeli Prime Minister, the President, were in tenants, along with six former and current heads of Israeli intelligence. Now, this type of funeral is not given to just a media mogul. This is given to, you know, presidents and dignitaries that had profound impact on the world. And that's what Maxwell had. And we'll probably never, well, I mean, we'll never know exactly what he did. Now, I, I couldn't find any information to corroborate this. This is going to be purely speculation on my part. But Robert Maxwell used his media and influence to run fake stories, just like Elliot Carver did. If you don't have the news, you create the news. It was said in Romanian TV stations that he would often do his own interviews of the uh, Romanian president because he was a fan of the president. So he would run he would run stories that were in favor of him. He even would give him softball questions. He would run fake stories about polling. He would run fake stories about how good the country was doing. And he would do all of these in, in addition to controlling any kind of media outlets or any kind of breaking news stories that were coming out. He controlled the media. And going back to the World War II, when they would drop fake newspaper stories um, all throughout Europe in order to try to sway the public opinion and try to keep morale up or try to quell morale, it was the spy community realizes what the influence of media has and the control that you can have and the amazing impact that you can have. I mean, look at today. I mean, with social media and everything that's been exacerbated and the flood of information that's barraged at you constantly, the only and the, the able to siphon this and determine exactly what media. Look, Mark Zuckerberg is now Robert Maxwell. He is controlling 
so much of what the public perceives, and it's worldwide. He controls and siphons information. He can sway public opinion. He can monitor. He can censor whatever he wants because it's his own private company. And that kind of power is unbelievable, and you're seeing the impact of it now. I mean, look at this Wayfair story that just happened yesterday where they're supposedly selling kids through furniture on Wayfair. Arguments are pretty compelling, but Facebook was immediately closing people's accounts, shutting down, censoring everything, and deeming it as false information when they are deal with all sorts of, ins- like, look at this Black Lives Matter and look at this anti-police and look at all the other venom and spew that is just devouring the internet right now. And you're going to tell me that instantly they are like, oh, no, no, this, this is fake to shut down to all accounts? That's, that's red flags to me. That's another thing. Like, why did Facebook care so much about that particular story that they, people I know, they were shutting down their accounts after posting Wayfair pictures? I mean, that's power. That's influence. Imagine trying being, thinking that you were so above everything that you can just shut down a story and instantly stop everybody's account from spreading that kind of information. Based on what? The story was out for three days and you think that you automatically are fake? That it's fake that you can control that, and this and this this kind of harkens back to the way that our brains are not catching up with the amount of ability that we have for both food and for information. So when you eat a piece of fruit, for instance, your brain tells you, "Oh my God, this is amazing! This is sweet!" Or a piece of chocolate, amazing, sweet. You need to have this because this is your chance to harbor up some energy because you may not get another chance for it. Well, in today's society, you can get whatever you want. I mean, you can have an abundance of food. You can have abundance of whatever you want. And that chemical response that's in your brain to actually tasting these things have not caught up. So now you have to have discipline. And it's the same thing with information. I haven't been on Twitter. I, I never had a Twitter until a couple of days ago when I have this, I have, I'm doing this investigation where this group of organization brought down a statue in Baltimore. So I'm leading the investigation. So I had to jump on a fake Twitter account and investigate. Well, I had never been on Twitter. I cannot believe the barrage of negativity, the cesspool that is Twitter, the pure negativity and sensory overload. Like when I look at the computer screen and I'm, I'm scrolling through this, it's overwhelming with how much information you're supposed to take in. And the same thing with Facebook. You go on Facebook now and it is one big barrage of just mess of information and spew and negativity and hate. And it's amazing the fact that I can I don't understand how people even own these things. Having been removed from it for about five, six years, and then going back on it, it is sensory overload. And I mean, they have, must have been programmed people who have these Twitters that over the last five, ten years, you get used to seeing all that barrage of information. But even humanity is not supposed to have this. You look at 50 years ago, the amount of information you're able to get, you, weren't, you would go to a Britannica encyclopedia to get your information. You wouldn't go to your phone and be able to have the endless supply of information at your fingertips. And you look at what social media does, and it's just a barrage, a barrage, a constant barrage of information. And there's no way that our brains are evolved enough to be able to process all the information, all the negativity, to siphon through everything that's being taught and thrown at us all the time. It's why this anxiety thing is a big deal with everybody, and especially in like millennials, how they always talk about their anxiety. Well, no fucking wonder. Can you? I cannot imagine being on Twitter, Facebook. And Instagram and all the other, all the other Reddit and everything else, and being barraged with that much information. That's why I stick to Instagram. You know what I want? I want Bond pictures and I want boob pictures. That's it. Bond and boobs. That's all I want my social media to be. It's why I'm sticking solely to Instagram. Thank you, Lindsay Payless. You know, thank you, Celia Gabbiani. Give me my boobs 
And thank you to everybody in this community who gives me my bond. Other than that, don't spew me with all the other stuff that's there. And so the ability to own this media, to own this, is real power. And that's what Robert Maxwell, and that's what Robert Maxwell yielded with his companies. And that's why he was such an important part of the intelligence community for Britain, for the Soviet Union, for Israel, is that owning media is power. It is absolute power. And you're seeing it today with social media. You're seeing it today with CNN. Where you're seeing it today with Fox News, everything. Everybody has their own agenda and everybody's trying to push it. Now, what does that got to do with what's interesting is that you look at what Robert was able to do and throughout the entire time, his right-hand person, the person he trusted the most who was with him to sporting events, special evenings, who was the apple of his eye was Giselle. Now, Jeffrey Epstein is kind of considered the main head target of it, but I would argue 100% that Giselle Maxwell, there's no way that Jeffrey Epstein puts his empire without Giselle Maxwell and what she learned from Robert Maxwell in order to put that into... Look, Jeffrey Epstein is a new money. He was born not poor. He worked his way up. He did fraud and all that. He got million, but he's new money. He's new money. He, there's no way he should be hanging out with Prince Andrew. All right, There's no way that he should have that kind of clout to be introduced to these people without Giselle and the influence that Robert Maxwell had. The Epstein case, Giselle is not getting enough credit for the... the uh, for what she's done in it because Bill Clinton is not hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein without Giselle and Maxwell. Prince Andrew and Buckingham Palace and people of that prestige are not hanging out with Jeffrey Epstein because he's a little Wall Street billionaire, barely a billionaire, not even an impressive billionaire. He is there because Robert Maxwell and Giselle Maxwell have pure, unadulterated influence throughout the world. And in that time, Giselle was able to corrupt and she's got her own demons. She's certainly not, she's doing the same thing that, G that Jeffrey was. G Giselle even owns a, pilot, a submarine pilot's license and owns a company called Terramar, which makes submarines. In Pedophile Island, there is a, um, there are submarine docks that they were able to bring submarines in from all around the Virgin Islands. Now, the surrounding islands are owned by people like Joe Biden. Why does Joe Biden own an island in the Virgin Islands? He is a, he's been a senator for years. How is a public servant able to own an island in the, in the Caribbean? Being a South Carolina, no. Being a Carolina senator, you're now able to own an island? That's not red flags for anybody. So when Elliot Carver talks about in that one meeting in the social scene, he says, threaten to release the videos of him with the cheerleader. Or the other part when he first meets, when he's talking and Terry Hatcher's there and he's like, did I release the mad cow disease? story did i make it up just so that because he lost to me in poker and refused to pay up i mean this is reality stories and you're looking at today and the influence and everything else like these are real look they're movies and bond is a movie and it's based on a person and it's supposed to be fictional escapism but sometimes you know reality is scarier than fiction and i think that that's kind of what robert maxwell and then into giselle maxwell and jeffrey epstein what we're seeing is that the veil is being lifted from these elites, and it's the world that James Bond lives in. It's what I find the most interesting about this is that Robert Maxwell will be somebody that James Bond actually looks into. He's a double agent. He works for MI6. He works for Mozad. He works for KGB. Elliot Carver is somebody that uh, James Bond should be looking at. So it's kind of sad to me that the movie is eh. I'll get into it in the part two when we talk about the rest of it, but the movie is not that great, and it really missed the mark, even though the story for me I would love to see this story revisited in another Bond film. So just if you take one thing away from this podcast, and I, I really, 
I really think that this is so important and I, I think this is the main idea that I want to get out of the, listening to this podcast. And the one thing, the one point that I really want to emphasize is that follow boobs on Instagram only. That's it. The rest of it, you're only, you're, you're going to stress yourself. You're going to give yourself an anxiety. So only social media, stick to Instagram, stick to boobs. You're going to be great. All right, guys. Thank you so much for coming in today. This has been Quantum of History. This has been episode 13. It's going to be Tomorrow Never Dies, part one. Jeffrey Epstein, thank you for following me on Instagram at Quantum of History. If you guys want stickers, hit me up. Just put me in the DMs. I got all sorts of Quantum of History swag. So hit me up on the DMs and uh, we'll go from there, guys. Hey, I appreciate the follow. appreciate the listen. And as always, guys, stay positive out there. Don't listen to negativity. Be you and enjoy yourself. All right, guys, take care. Until next time, enjoy your night.